Today on the Landscape Library, you'll be hearing from Diane and Stacy, principals and co-founders of Superbloom, a women-owned landscape architecture business in Colorado. In talking to Diane and Stacy, it is apparent that their passion for restorative, regenerative landscapes is complemented by their expertise infusing ecological and social systems throughout their designs. In this episode, we talk about a plethora of projects, including Superbloom's 1881 Farm Park, which won the 2022 Jeff Harner Award for Contemporary Architecture. We also talk about unique aspects of landscape design, such as the value of research and local collaboration, the benefits of modeling, the use of model materials like clay, wood, and cork, and finally, how the simple essence of being outside can influence the design in the most magnificent way. Enjoy this conversation with Diane and Stacy from Superbloom. Here's a quick preview. This one we kept asking ourselves. So we went back out there and we just stood there for like five minutes and we didn't really say anything. And we just looked out and listened and felt and heard and realized that the very coolest thing about this site is not the magnificent view of the mountains, which is really cool, but it's also something you can get in Colorado in a lot of places, but that the clouds. Welcome to the Landscape Library Podcast. My name is Jordan. I'm the founder of the Landscape Library and your host for the show. The Landscape Library is the premier residential landscape architecture platform with courses and digital tools for landscape designers, as well as media for landscape enthusiasts. On the show, I will dig into the minds of leading landscape designers. Our conversations will shed light on topics such as sustainability, creative intent, and more. Make sure to subscribe to the show and share your feedback with reviews. And don't forget to subscribe to thelandscapelibrary.com for articles featuring projects, architects, design inspiration, product recommendations, and more. Welcome, Diane and Stacy, to the Landscape Library podcast. Hi, thank you. Um, so tell me just a little bit about how Superbloom started. Well, Stacy and I met at another firm here in Denver, and we, I like to say that we initially got started over a campfire, but we just found working together on several projects that we had a lot of alignment in kind of our goals for our work and for landscape architecture generally. You know, we really wanted to kind of fuse ecological systems with social systems and make really cool visionary designs. And we had a lot of interest in kind of research and getting our hands dirty while we make really cool drawings to come mm-hmm. up with ideas for what we imagine future conditions to be. Before our interview here, you mentioned that it started during the pandemic. What was starting a business like in the pandemic? Well, we actually decided to do it before the pandemic. And then once we had it in our minds that this is what we wanted, I think we weren't going to turn back. But um, yeah, it was interesting. Like people had different reactions. Some people were like, oh, that's so bold. How terrifying. And other people were like, oh, this is the best time. You know, when things are down, they'll go back up. I think, you know, it's obviously the like workplace element of like remote and all that has added complications. But we were able to spend a lot of time really honing in on our mission and like the kind of work that we want to do. And it seems like that has really resonated with people, with clients, with people who want to work with us. And so we've had a really exciting year and we've taken on some projects that really just like exceed our expectations as far as like the perfect projects to work on. Did you go into, you know, developing a business with like maybe one typology in mind as far as doing a certain type of landscape or did that evolve maybe just as you experienced COVID? 
Because I think some of what you're doing is regenerative. Did you start Superbloom with that in mind? We did. It was something that was really important to us, um, but probably the pandemic for sure, like with clients and people choosing to improve their landscapes, it does seem like an interested in connecting back with food systems and be thinking more like long-term about the health of the land that that has taken on a heightened importance. I mean, maybe for lack of a more eloquent thing. I think a lot of people watch a lot of Netflix and there's a lot more documentaries about some Mm -hmm. of the things that are really important to us and a lot more kind of information available or maybe people able to sit down and listen to it. And so, I mean, Stacey and I talk all the time about how it's crazy that in the last 10 years, how much more interested clients are in the kind of edible food systems and how their small little plot of land relates to larger ecological systems. I think the kind of like niche that we are like opportunity that we saw was that there's a lot of firms or people that are like really strong on like the social system. There's a lot of firms that are really strong on the ecological systems and that like we feel like they are synthesized and they Mm -hmm. they should be synthesized and you know it's sometimes difficult there's like the dynamics of farm or like living with kind of these active landscapes it just takes like a different way of approaching the project which is also kind of like back to the research component that is so interesting to us. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that drove me to your firm is research. How important is research to your company and then also to landscape? For us, it's like the starting point and in a way like related to why we wanted to craft our own practice. Um, For example, we're working on this park called 1881 right now, and it's a 15-acre park. It has an existing historic homestead located at the site, but the intention is not to kind of create this museum of the past, but to really celebrate and to explore the future of agriculture and the future of growing food in the arid west here in eastern Colorado, which is obviously like a very specific um, environment. And so going about that project, we really started by talking to people and contacting everyone from people at the historic society and the museum and the city of Aurora to people at the University of Colorado who are experts in soil science or dryland farming. We spoke to people at the Botanic Garden, like really trying to capture as many different kind of like systems or angles that might apply to the project. And then, you know, bringing that into the design and letting it inform the actual like formal decisions about space. I was going to say, just to add on to that, I, I think we look at research as a multi-scalar operation, just like we see design in that way. You know, 1881 Farm Park is a big park, and we convinced our client that it was really important that we engage with the local expertise on the number of different issues Stacey mentioned. But, you know, even for, say, a residential project, we're working on a regenerative orchard kind of in the South Denver area. and we wanted to get our own hands dirty and like test her soil and really kind of get in there and look at it with even more granularity. And we engaged with a orchardist on the best, most desert adapted fruit species and, you know, really trying to build that in and, and trying to also 
include in our in our work like manuals for the research that we've done so that not only does the owner have this book of like we've tested your soil we've looked at all these different tree species we've done all this work so that they have that to share we have that to share with our future clients i love that would you say that like each project is like starting new completely from scratch with research or is it kind of like building off of each project um like you mentioned the orchards like is that something that you're kind of relaying that information into maybe another project definitely some of both some of the the knowledge applies to other projects like you know we also work quite a bit in the mountains of Colorado on more restorative projects that are about kind of you know larger scale meadow restorations or uh, river systems things like that so like those projects that can kind of be more easily applied across mm-hmm. the sites um, but definitely like each project is so different and Every site is so different. The objectives are so different. I think though, you know, like the orchard, the residential orchard meadow, regenerative orchard project in 1881, for example, we definitely use the research that we did into um, drought tolerant fruit species into Mm -hmm. that farm park. Um, And I think something that we've really enjoyed, or at least I've really enjoyed about starting our business is kind of creating our Wes Anderson dream team of collaborators, like our orchardists, like we brought him into 1881 also. And I think it's really cool to see, like we're all building our kind of library of knowledge on some of these really interesting ideas and design practices. Yeah. I mean, the one that other one project that I also wanted to cover was under one roof. What was the research like on those particular projects? Cause the, I love the drawings too. So I would love to just like learn more about the topography, the architecture, and then maybe like the research in plants. So to speak to the under one roof project, um, that was a master's research project that I did while at Harvard's graduate school of design. And the project is set on St. Thomas Island in the Virgin Islands. And it was a response to hurricanes that occurred there in 2017. There were two hurricanes that basically destroyed everything on the island. So we were working with a local farmer's market that had an existing structure. And the project was to create a vision for rebuilding that, then then to create documents and drawings that they could submit to FEMA to then get funding to rebuild the farmer's market. So that particular project, because it's an island ecosystem and very remote, the project really started with materials and this idea of the life cycle of design. So what could be available on the island itself and creating a project that was really a like self-sufficient as possible and required as, as few inputs as possible as well. That turned into a couple of different like primary design decisions. One was creating a sort of terrace architecture and farm. And the terracing included also these like substantial cyst- water cisterns because there's really no groundwater on these islands because of the kind of volcanic nature of the geology. So all the water that they use for drinking water comes from rainfall. So designing this like enormous 
roof that would capture water, store it in these cisterns. And then the structure of the cisterns also created a kind of architecture for more like productive space as well. So like growing food in the field, the terrace fields that connected back to the farmer's market and then creating spaces for people to actually make things because the value of farmed products like increases when you can make something else with it. So kind of like taking what they had, which was this more or less basic farmer's market and really turning it into like a large community center and kind of like beacon on the hill that also because of the nestled nature of the design created spaces for people to come if there was a future hurricane because some of the spaces were like buried into the hill so some sort of like refuge areas as well also on that project you had a model on your website do you do a lot of modeling for other projects We do. Yeah. We are especially interested in experimenting with different materials. So like depending on the project, we would use potentially a different material. Like for the 1881 farm park, it's here in the prairie. So we made some models with clay and some part of like our topographic design process was like taking clay and then testing different kinds of prairie waves and mounds and topographies. The uh, under one roof model is made out of plywood, but also cork. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cork was cut in a laser, or actually it was on a, um, it wasn't a laser cutter. It was like a different CNC router that has a little blade. So it was a stacked cork model and cork is like for landscape, just an amazing material to use because of the granularity of the kind of visual texture and use like CNC machines to also just use like building terrain in Rhino that then we would like CNC route, which is like the easiest and most amazing way to make a terrain model. Yeah, I think as Stacey said, we like to use models as a way not only to represent the final product, but to inform the design. We have a project called Cloud Bosk in Castle Rock that we, you know, we'll do like dirty study models, you know, just print what we've got and like get, you know, all the push pins and just whatever we've got to kind of, is this working, you know, just lift it up and and look at it at different angles from that to the kind of final kind of beautiful finished product, I think is something that's fun for us. I mean, something we wanted to do more of when we started our own practices, get our hands dirty on things other than, you know, German fested computer keyboards (laughs) and like get outside more, you know, beyond models. We try to do like fieldwork Fridays where we get outside and either study a site that we're working on or some other site that we think will be important or kind of illuminating for us in the work that we do do. When you're out in the field, uh, what are like three major things to look for when you're doing research and field noting? Oh, good question. At least for me, something I'm always more conscious of when I'm outside doing something like that is the detail whether it's what's the climatic condition do i feel really dry is it windy you you kind of sense with all of your senses more intensely when you're outside in the field as opposed to sitting in your at your desk thinking about what it would feel like to be there yeah diane mentioned the kind of multi-scalar like it's that's the one to one like being at the site you know obviously we have so many amazing tools and technologies that allow us to study and see things from above. But, you know, sometimes we'll make up different kind of games or like processes, methodologies for ourselves. Like, okay, this time we're going to like 
do sketches and like study a particular thing or take drone photos or we're going to like walk in this particular way. You know, you can like have fun with it too. It doesn't have to be the science or the, the technical side of it, but how does it feel and how can you like have that experience and draw out like different types of experiences from being there? Yeah, I mean, one other, oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to add to that, the CloudBoss project I mentioned that we, you know, are doing study models on. We, this is just a, a half acre park in Castle Rock on a really elevated site. And we, you know, you can do a half acre so many different ways. We had so many different cool ideas and we were drawing in our studio. And then at some point we were like, we had to go back out there and, you know, which, which one of these ideas is well, actually the best so one? It didn't, yeah. it didn't feel like we knew, you know, sometimes you draw and you're like, but that's the elevation right there. This one we kept asking ourselves. So we went back out there and we just stood there for like five minutes and we didn't really say anything. And we just looked out and listened and felt and heard and realized that the very coolest thing about the site is not the magnificent view of the mountains, which is really cool, but it's also something you can get in Colorado in a lot of places, but that the clouds, they felt so close to you because you were so elevated. So we made the whole project hinge on opening and closing views to the clouds and, you know, really worked in the kind of educational landscape of clouds in Colorado. We we're working with them, a meteorologist here to develop kind of educational signage about it. So that really kind of crystallized what the what the final design ended up being. Yeah, it feels very immersive and just self-aware. And I love the one-to-one aspects ratio. Have you ever done a, a one-to-one scaled model? <laughs> we do. Uh, yeah, we don't have a giant office. <laughs> well, we have to do like... Um... Sign it, you know, like things that we could scale in our office. We do for yeah. objects. We totally do or for like, objects. Like text. We, you know, there've been a couple of times where we're like, how big is that going to be? And then we just, <laughs> yeah, so divide two. You know, you never like even when you print something that's supposed to be eight and a half by eleven, you're doing it in the computer and it looks great, and then you print it out and you're like, oh my god, that's enormous. Why <laughs> so you're you're not building twenty foot structures in your office. <laughs> Not I mean, that's a future. That's goal. a future. There you go. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for um, joining the podcast. I have one last question, and it is: if there's one thing that you can think of to improve the landscape field, what would it be? Oh man, so many things. I mean, okay, you will appreciate this. We would love to have a better way of like modeling and drawing two dimensions and three dimensions together. There's the whole two-dimensional aspect of like documentation and the tradition of the field, but then everything we do in landscape is like three-dimensional. So we have like different softwares that we use for that. And we haven't found anything that really like brings them together in a way that's not like, there's just always these different steps. And we have it down and we, one of the first things we do is always like bring something into Rhino because it is everything we do is so three-dimensional, but then yeah, it feels like we're duplicating things sometimes. (laughs) I know that feeling. Yeah. I used to build lots of models at BRK Ingalls group. So I know the Mm. feeling of having that one software that would just spit it out. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's been really fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Landscape Library Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe for future ones and drop us a review on your way out. To download our free resources, follow us on Instagram at the Landscape Library. And for everything else, visit thelandscapelibrary.com. See you on the next episode.